0: essays twenty three and twenty four of the romance of the commonplace by gillette burgess this librivox recording is in the public domain essay twenty three the edge of the world to find the colonial or the provincial more cultured better educated in life and keenlier cognizant of the world's progress than the ordinary metropolitan is a common enough paradox class for class the outlander has more energy greater sapience and a truer zest of intellect than the citizen at the capital by the outlander is not meant however the mere suburban or rural inhabitant but the dweller at the outpost of civilization the picket on the edge of the world let us grant that in the gross every new community must be crude it takes time to grow ivy over the walls to soften the primary colors into harmonious tones to smooth off the rough edges but let us also grant that at all the back doorways of empire in far-away corners of the earth are assembled little coteries of men and women who by reason of their very isolation rather than despite it have made themselves cosmopolitan catholic eclectic and stand ever ready to welcome each in its own polite dialect and idiom the astonished traveller who thinks he has left all that is great and good behind this compensation is indeed a natural law if we cut back half the shoots of a shrub the surviving sprouts will be more vigorous the deprivation of one sense renders the others more acute make it hard for an ambitious lad to obtain an education and working alone by candlelight he will outstrip the student with greater advantages so it is with the colonial who realizes his poverty of artistic and intellectual resources he must in self-defense and to compensate for his isolation make friends with the world at large and his mental vision accustomed to long ranges of sight becomes sharp and subtle to avoid the reproach of provincialism he studies the great centers of thought and watches eagerly for the first signs of new growths in fads fashions art and politics it is for this reason that the british colonial is more british than the englishman at home plunged in the midst of the turmoil of everyday excitements the dwellers in great cities lose much of the true and fine significance of things a thousand enterprises are beginning and amidst a myriad essays the headway of yesterday's novelty is lost in the struggle of today's agonist the little temporary local success seems big with import and the slower development of more serious and permanent virtues is ignored things are seen so closely that they are out of true proportion and they are seen through media of personality that diffract and magnify but the provincial far from this complicated aspect of intellectual life gains greatly in perspective separated by great space he is in a way separated by time also and he sees what another generation will perhaps see in the history of to-day for he watches not only literary london that tiniest and most garrulous of gossiping villages but a dozen other hives of thought as well and from his very distance can the more easily discern the first signs of preeminence. his ears are not ringing with the myriad petty clamours but he can hear rising above the multitudinous hum the voice of those who sing clearest the connoisseur in art views a painting from across the hall the lover of music does not sit too close to the orchestra and so the intelligent looker-on at life does not come too often in familiar touch with the aspirants for fame living as one might say upon a hill the stranger thus gets the range volume and trend of human activities and sees their movements like those of armies marching below him though they seem as ants so far away he can trace the direction of waves of emotion that follow round the earth like the tides of the sea in every community however small or remote there are a few who delight in this comprehensive view of things who keep up with the times and so far as their immediate neighbours are concerned are ahead of the prevailing mode As the meteorologists studying the reports from north, south, east, and west can trace the progress of storm and wind, so these intelligent observers can predict what will be talked about next, and how soon the first murmurs will reach their shores. Their cosmic laboratory is the club library table, with its journals and periodicals from all over the world the first hint of a new success in literature comes from the london weeklies and then if the british opinion is corroborated by american favour the new york papers take up the note of praise and one may follow the progress of a novel's triumph across three thousand five hundred miles of continent or see the word pass from colony to colony over the whole empire the londoner sees but the bubbles at the spring the pioneer by the pacific watches the course of a mighty stream increasing in depth and width to-morrow or in three months the vogue will reach his own town and he will smile to see all tongues wag of the latest literary success so it is with art and so it is with fashions with the drama and with every fad and foible from golf and babism to the last song and catchword of the music halls the colonial is behind the times what does it matter are we not all behind the times of tomorrow? so long as we cannot travel faster than the news it makes little difference and it is wise when we are in san francisco to do as the franciscans do it is as bad to be ahead of the times as to be behind and it is best to follow the style of one's own locality with a shrewd eye to one's purchases for the future buying what we can see must come into popular favour but does your metropolitan enjoy this complexity this living in the future not he he cares nothing for the vierge for him ping-pong is dead or dying he neither knows nor cares that it still lives in the occident marching in glory ever towards the west along the old trail to fame of the last six successful books discussed over his muffins does he know which have been virile enough to survive transplanting to other shores which have emigrated and become naturalized in the colonies no he is for the next little victory at the tea-tables of the elect and yet this afterglow this subsequent invasion of new territory is what brings enduring fame before the city election is substantiated the country must be heard from the urban hears the solo voices of adulation the worship of those near and dear to celebrity but the great chorus that sweeps the hero up to parnassus comes from a wider stage The army of invasion never comes home again to be hailed as victor until it has encircled the globe. But it is the greater conquest that the dweller at the outpost sees, at first like a cloud no bigger than a man's hand, and it is his game to watch and await it. It is better so. Waste no pity upon him at the edge of the world, for the big game needs big men, and it is the boldest and most strenuous spirits who push to Ultima Thule the anemic and neurotic do not emigrate the reddest blood has flowed in the veins of the pioneer ever since the first migration he does things rather than talks of things others have done he knows life even if he knows not ibsen meet him in his far away home and he holds your interest with an unlooked-for charm take him to the elgin marbles and he will have and hold his own idea of art unborrowed from textbooks. he knows more of your city's history than you do yourself panic or the furor of a fashion cannot hypnotize him the importance of a celebrated name cannot embarrass him for he has met men unknown to fame who have lived as uncrowned kings He has seen cities rise from the plain. He has made the wilderness to blossom like the rose. He has lived, not written, epics. And in addition to gaining all this experience that trained the pioneers of old, he has, while living at the confines of civilization, kept in touch with the world, and has tasted the exhilarating flavor of the old and new in one mouthful. For in this century, distance is swept away, and no land is really isolate. The pioneer lives like a god above distinctions of time, at once in the past, the present, and the future. Essay Twenty Four: THE DIARY HABIT For seven years I have kept my diary scrupulously, without missing a day, and now, at the beginning of a new twelve-month, I am wondering whether I should maintain or renounce it. There are certain good habits, it would seem, as hard to break as bad ones, and if the practice of keeping a daily journal is a praiseworthy one, it derives no little of its virtue from sheer inertia. The half-filled book tempts one on. There is a pleasure in seeing the progress of the volume, leaf by leaf. Like sentimental misers, we hoard our store of memories.' we end each day with a definite statement of fact or fancy and it grows harder and harder to abstain from the self-enforced duty yet it is seldom a pleasure when one is fatigued with excitement or work to transmit our affairs to writing some it is true love it for its own sake or as a relief for pent-up emotions But in one way or another, most autobiographical journalists consider the occupation as a prudent depositor regards his frugal savings in the bank. Sometime, somehow, they think, these coined memories will prove useful. Does this time ever come, I wonder? For me it has not come yet, though I still picture a late reflective age when I shall enjoy recalling the past and live again my old sensations. But life is more strenuous than of yore, and even at seventy or eighty nowadays no one need consider himself too old for a fresh, active interest in the world about him. Your old gentleman of today does not sit in his own corner of the fireplace and dote over the lost years. He reads the morning papers and insists upon going to the theatre with his nieces on wet evenings. Have I, then, been laying up honey for a winter of discontent that shall never come? Besides this distrust of my diaries, I am awakening after seven years to the fact that as autobiography, the books are strangely lacking in interest. They are not convincing. I thought as I did my clerkly task that I should always be I, but a cursory glance at these naive pages shows that they were written by a thousand different persons, no one of whom speaks the language of the emotions as I know it today it is true then my diary has convinced me that we do become different persons every seven years here is written down rage hate delight affection and yearning no word of which is comprehensible to me now they leave me quite cold i am reading the adventures of someone else not my own who was it i have forgotten the dialect of my youth ah indeed the boy is father of the man I will be indulgent, as a son should, to paternal indiscretions. And yet, for the bare skeleton of my history, these volumes are useful enough. The pages, which, while still wet with ink and tears, I considered lyric essays, have fallen to a merely utilitarian value. I am thankful on that account for them, and for the fact that my bookkeeping was well systematized and indexed as outward form goes my diaries are models of manner so for those still under the old-fashioned spell who would adopt a plan of entry let me describe them the especial event of each day if the day held anything worthy of remark or remembrance was boldly noted at the top of the page over the date whirring the leaves i catch many suggestive phrases dinner at mademoiselle qui vive's it was there i first tasted champagne Henry Irving and Macbeth, but it was not the actor that made that night famous in my correspondence. What an industrious scribbler S.R. was, to be sure. I had not thought we went quite so hard, and K.C., how often she appears in the lower left, and how seldom in the lower right. I was a brute, no doubt, and small wonder she married Flemingway.' perpendicularly along the inner margin i wrote the names of those to whom i had been introduced that day and on a back page i kept a chronological list of the same i met kitty it seems on a friday perhaps that accounts for our not hitting it off most of these are names and nothing more now and it gives my heart a leap to come across sally in that list of non-entities to think that there was ever a time when i did not know her besides all this the books are extra illustrated in the most significant manner there is hardly a page that does not contain some trifling memento here a theatre coupon pasted in or a clipping from the programme an engraved card or a pencilled note there a scrap of a photograph worn out in my pocket-book somebody's sketched profile or at rare intervals a wisp of someone's hair this reddish curl was it kitty's or from dora's brow oh i remember it was myrtle gave it me no i am wrong i stole it from nettie i pasted them in with eager trembling fingers but i regard them now without a tremor there are other pages being filled which interest me more occasionally i open a book eighteen ninety five perhaps and consult a date to be sure that millicent's birthday is on november twelfth or to determine just who was at kitty's coming-out dinner here is a diagram of the table with the places of all the guests named so i sat beside nora did i and who was nora i have forgotten her name now she is mrs alfred Fortunatus. sometimes i think it would be better to write up my diary in advance to fill in the year's pages with what i would like to do and attempt to live up to the prophecy and yet I have had too many unforeseen pleasures in my life for that. I would rather trust fate than imagination. So, chiefly because I have kept the book for seven years, I shall probably keep it seven years more. It gratifies my conceit to chronicle my small happenings, and somehow, written down in fair script, they seem important." and besides i am a bit anxious to see how many times a certain name which has lately begun to make itself prominent will appear at the top of the pages i promise to tell you some time if celestine is willing End of essay twenty four